My mic wasn't even by me. I'm bugging. You right, see I'm what like, I'm saying I'm about those of us who are technologically challenged? Welcome to the Ain't I a Woman podcast. Hey. This is, go ahead, Asia. Do your Black introduction. Black women are not in tech. Zim, you got it. Um, this is episode number seven. seven. Hey. <laughs> and today, uh, the... The topic for today's episode is Ain't I Religious? Oh, wow. Praise the Lord. God is I good. I say amen. I say amen. All the time. All the time. Not all the and, time, though. You know, I, you all know, the time. Oh, not all. Of, okay, well, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the nitty gritty because my co-hosts are heathens and that's okay. Straight I best it. friends with Satan. Oh. <laughs> God, I do not. <laughs> Child. Because guess what? To this podcast? Like, I like have your, seen like, the Lord's goodness. Like your brother in Christ. His mercy says, and compassion. We are not homophobic in hell. I have seen we are the not Lord's goodness. In hell, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mm, mm. I have seen the Lord. When your spirit. Anyways. To <clears> me. Nobody. With my whole heart, I'll agree. So I guess that answers my question. Yes, your mom does listen to the podcast. (laughs) My mom does not. I would die if my mom. You left that room the other day. We were talking about that. I would be mortified if my mom listened to this podcast. Really? The amount of times I've talked about sex alone on this podcast, I would literally crawl into a hole and be deceased. So no, she does not. I would love it if my mom listened to this podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love it. Like if everybody who was an associate, like who knew me, everybody who's in my family, if they heard this podcast, I would love it. Well, let's start. Let's start with the very first question then. Um, After, 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 the dusty of the day. Oh, I like that. I'm gonna clip that. Yeah, I'm just gonna get into it. So, who's your dusty of the day, ho? So basically, um, my dusty of the day today, initially it was going to be um, Roger Cartsons and Steve Gillen, um, who are part of the leadership for the Office of the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, which is the department that is currently in charge of Brittany Griner's case. So, um, Mm. it was the anniversary of Brittany Griner and her wife, and there was a scheduled call that was supposed to take place um, that did not happen because uh, the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, in Russia, was not properly staffed, apparently, um, to receive the call. Um, Brittany Griner attempted to reach her wife 11 times. Um, and nobody picked up. And I really just, <laughs> so it was between dragging them, right? Dragging just the State Department heads and then like dragging the actual like people at the embassy, right? Ambassador John J. Sullivan, for example, or Deputy Chief of Mission Elizabeth Brood. I didn't really know who to pick, but I just knew that they were all complicit um, in this outrage like that like like this shit like 
It was scheduled for weeks. Like, come on. She hasn't spoken to anybody in four months. And her detention has been extended by 18 days. She missed her wife's graduation. She didn't even get to talk to her. Like, come on. So, no. Like, I feel like that shit was mad egregious. Um, and I'm really outraged. Like, I'm upset about that. And I was going to have, you know, one of my case update rooms today. But I don't know. Like, I've been really upset just, like, about the whole case. And I didn't feel like I would be able to do that shit. So, I said... Let me push it for later, but I don't even think I'm going to do it later tonight either because, I don't know, this whole case is really messing with me. So for that to happen, it was just like, it was horrible. Mm. And for the people that don't know, Brittany Griner is still being detained in Russia um, on some what appear to be fraudulent charges uh, of like drug possession or something. It very much gives set up because of the conflict happening between Ukraine and Russia and the role of the U.S. Brittany Griner, unfortunately, seems to be being used as some kind of pawn, uh, some type of political prisoner um, by the Russians. And so she has been detained for quite some time um, over there in Russia. And yeah, that's fucked up that they completely bungled her ability to you know have contact with her family and I believe she also has small children if I'm not mistaken her and her wife have like young kids I want to say they do I or, don't know. or maybe I made that up that I don't know. I'll have to look that <laughs> up don't look don't but I, I I think she has small kids but maybe I made that up um but yeah complete fail by fail by the U.S. Embassy yeah so that that's my dusty of the day the whole U.S. government, actually, but that's the a <laughs> for another. <laughs> they, they all just trash. Shout out to Joe Biden, dust. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we're going to have a conversation about um, politics one day. But today we are gathered to talk about religion. It's going to be a hot and contentious topic. Why do you think it's going to be contentious? Because y'all are heathens, and I'm trying to get you over you know, to the promised land. Asia, haven't you noticed <laughs> about Zimmy? Like, <laughs> Zimmy is one of those people who will try yeah. to intellectualize the Bible. She'll die on that hill. She'll How do I it. intellectualize the She'll Bible? She'll die on it. She'll die on it. Well, that was, okay, so that I was my I died opening. because my Lord and Savior died for me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to open up with that question are you religious well three parts to this question were you raised religious what was that like and are you religious today y'all want me to go first or do y'all no yes go our christian <laughs> princess our, our sister in christ yes so i absolutely us. was i absolutely was raised religious um i grew up with a father that is catholic and a mother that is pentecostal um i actually did not grow up in a Pente- pentecostal church i grew up in a catholic church with my dad um so it's interesting i was raised very religiously, but not necessarily under Catholicism. My dad, and shout out to him, he's probably never going to hear this. 
he was one of those like I go to mass on Sundays, but beyond that, at least growing up, there wasn't really a whole ton of practice. And so I would go to mass on Sundays too, but beyond that, that like I didn't I didn't have like a super strong or deep connection to Catholicism. Um it was really my mom who raised this very religiously, right? So even though we um, weren't going to a Pentecostal church uh, with my mom, she still, you know, we would have to pray every night and not like them cute little prayers that you see in the movies where the, the kid is like, ah, thank you for this day. You know, not one of them cute little two minute prayers. We would have to have full on prayer sessions at night. Um, every night <laughs> we'd have to read the Bible Sometimes we'd have to memorize different verses. Um, and so I would say that learning about religion through my mom is actually the way that uh, if you asked me, was I raised religious? I would say yes, because of how I was raised by my mom to be religious and because of her religious faith. Um, what was it like? It was, it was a lot. Um, it was a lot of fear-based <laughs> religion, right? It was very heavy on the like, you need to believe in God and believe in Jesus because if you're not, you will go to hell and nobody wants to burn an eternal fire. It's very hot down there. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it was definitely a lot of like fear-based um, indoctrination um, and religious teaching. I didn't, luckily, because we didn't go to church with my mom, we went to mass with my dad. We would only have to be up in there for like 40 minutes every Sunday because we were always late, despite the fact that we lived 10 minutes away or less. <laughs> um, so I, I, I wasn't one of those kids who grew up in church every Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that type of party. Um, but definitely like in the home, a lot of religion, a lot of religious texts, Christianity, like a lot of, you know, heavy, heavy on the evangelical Pentecostal type of uh, Christianity. Am I still religious today? Yes, I am. Not religious like how my parents are though, or how my mom is. Um, I think that I have a much more, a less rigid understanding of Christianity and my faith. Um, I'll leave it there. I, you know, I know we're, we'll get into, we gonna get into some things. So <laughs> be to me, you I wanna go next? Oh, go ahead to me. No, I was literally going to say, who wants to go next? Be to me. Yeah, so I grew up in a really interesting situation. Yes, I was raised to be religious. Um, my dad is Muslim, and my mom, for a good part of my life, was Christian. So I went to both mosques, and I went to church on Sundays. So, you know, I definitely had, like, a lot of, issues with my parents when it came to I, there's literally a picture that my mom has of me being forced like to sit and pray with my dad and I'm like crying and I'm all upset my lip is poking out like it was really like I had such an antagonistic relationship with religion growing up not because and people would assume it's because like oh well you know you're growing up with parents who have two different religions and how so you're confused which then pressured my mom to convert to Islam like later as I was growing up. And so I was like, no, it's not because I'm confused. It's actually because like they both suck <laughs> and I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that was what it was. So yeah, it was, it was ugh, like, it was, mm. 
So be, you know, fasting during the summer, going to mosque on Fridays, going to church on Sundays. Like, I was over a child. I really, really was. Um, so I'm definitely not. Wait, religious. you had to go to mosque on Friday and church on Sunday? Damn. My heart goes out to you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so I'm not religious today at all. Like, not because. Well, really, because once again, I knew from an early age that it sucks, like the hypocrisy. I thought that it was really weird. One of the things that really stuck out to me was I remember when we would be sitting in Bible study, right? Because then we would have night vigils. My Nigerian people. <laughs> Y'all don't have nothing better vigil. to do than to be doing night vigils. They'll wake you up at like two, three o'clock in the morning and we'll be doing Bible study. And it's just this whole thing about how human beings are dirty and we're just sinful and we're just horrendous and we're horrible, but God loves you. But God is also vengeful and jealous and wrathful. <laughs> and I was just like, um, this is giving Shout out me- to people who are complex. God this is, is complex. giving me, nah, this is giving me abusive relationship. Um, it's giving me, yeah, like all this, you have to praise God and you have to serve God and you have to love God. Why don't I get to, don't I get to say whether or not I love God? Why I gotta love God? Like this woman that was not married. You don't love, you don't love God? God? What's wrong What's with wrong you? With you? <laughs> Shout out to Erica Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, you know, so it's just early on, there was a lot of contradictions. There was a lot of stuff that I, I didn't like about Islam either. Like the way, like, especially as a woman, I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I said, huh? Like, I remember there was a time when I was on my period. And because I was on my period, everybody in the mosque had to know that I was on my period. And I had to sit in like a little separate corner. Yeah, because when you're on your period, apparently you're dirty. You're nasty. Like my dad used to like treat my mom like she was some type of like cockroach because she was on her period, and he'd be like, "No, don't touch me." Like it was weird. You like wasn't getting period pum pum. Oh wow! Look, everybody don't run red light, Jimmy. <laughs> everybody don't run red light. Shout out sure. to the ones that do though. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. So it was just there was a lot of shit that I was just, and then on top mm -hmm. of like the culture aspect of it, so I was just. It was a mess. It was a hot mess. And I said, I'm okay. Life is complicated enough. No, thank you. Mm, okay. What about you, Asia? <sighs> um, well, I think I've mentioned to y'all on a few occasions that I don't really subscribe to any particular religious or spiritual tradition. Um, for me, growing up, we didn't have the fear of hellfire or hell, it was like a far more existential, <laughs> existential threat. Um, so it wasn't the fear of being burned for all eternity. It was this idea that you would die for, die in a sense that you're not coming back. Like there's no chance of resurrection. There's no, um, I guess there's no way to come back from, come back from that. But if you did live in accordance with the teachings of Jehovah God, then you have the opportunity to possibly be resurrected. Um, and so 
I often wonder like, how was that different from hell? But I guess one hell is like fire and brimstone and yeah. And the hell that I'm talking about is is like an existential one, I think is the Uh. best way to say it. Um, But yeah, I was, I grew up Jehovah's Witness. um, And I wasn't baptized and my parents weren't baptized, but I would go to the kingdom hall with my sisters, my cousins. And ultimately I decided I didn't want to do that. I didn't want any part of that. Um, But the thought is that why would you choose something else? Like, what is it in the, you know, there's some judgment, um, but it can be more severe for people who were in the religious tradition and were told they had to leave because they weren't um, living by a certain standard. So for me, it was some good times, obviously, being with people, celebrating. Zimmy, you were singing earlier. <laughs> there are songs that I still love to hear. Um, but there was also a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, um, and a scary, really uncomfortable code of silence around all that. And it was really terrifying. Um, to see what people were willing to not say because, but at the same time, it was a big, there was a lot on the line for them, you know, losing connection, losing family, losing a network, losing, you know, a a network of support. But anyway, um, yeah, for me, this topic is a little bit heavy um, because you lose family to this religious institution. You lose connection, you can, lo- you can lose a lot. Um, and to me, what you can lose is so much heavier than, than the weight of the promise, right? Of resurrection and everlasting life. So yeah, that is my, sorry y'all, there was a net. That, that is my uh, experience um, with, Jehovah. Um, but for other people, it means something totally different. So I don't want to, the thing about my criticisms of religion, I really don't want to erase the benefit, the experience, the community that you can get. Um, but I just wonder if they too don't feel uncomfortable about the things you can't say, the things that will go unaddressed because of all the standards and all the boundaries and all the protection of certain kinds of power within the institution. Are you talking about like the people within religion? Yeah. Religions? Yeah. Well, I feel like they they do feel uncomfortable, but they feel like it's supposed to happen. Like, that's one of the things about religion, like these, especially these major religions that we talk about, they make it seem like everything is happening like exactly as it's supposed to, that if you're just diligent and steadfast and you just believe enough and you're faithful enough that everything's going to be okay. It's it's like the American government with their trickle-down economics. Just hold on long enough. You just work hard enough and you put in that overtime. Everything's gonna work out. 
I mean, for me, I am fundamentally opposed to organized religion. I think it's the first time I ever said that. Like, I think I've thought it for a while, but I don't know that I've ever articulated it. Uh, But I just, I don't know if it's, um, if there's anything that can be recovered from organized religion. I just don't. I think there's been too much harm, too much, too much injustice, um, too much abuse that has happened uh, in these, uh, within these organizations and these religious bodies that I just, I don't know if there's anything left there to be recovered, right? Anything good left there to be recovered. And so for me, when I think about when people say, well, like, are you religious, right? And I would say yes, but to me, that does not look like I think what it, what it looks like for a lot of people, which is like, I have a home church and I go there every Sunday and I am part of the young adults group and I go bowling with them on the weekend. It's like, it doesn't look like that for me. Um, I, and there, there are some Christians who, who argue me down because, you know, it says where two or three are gathered and, you know, yeah, I, I know, I know. But for me, religion, Christianity, let me say that for me specifically is about my personal relationship with God point blank, period. I'm not really interested in the other elements of it, not as a way to like, for there to be a cop out of like, oh, the other, the other harmful things don't matter. Um, But more so to say, like, I think that we could do away with a lot of all the other stuff, right? Like we could do, we, and we'll get there. We'll talk about mega churches and the Catholic church and et cetera, et cetera. I fundamentally think like we can do away with most, if not all of that, um, and I think there's something wonderful about just like reorienting yourself to your relationship with God, what it means for you to hear from God, what it means for you to be filled with the spirit, right? Like to me, those are things that I, that are super important to me, right? They are crucial to how I orient myself in the world, the way I think about things, uh, the, the decisions I make, uh, the sense of safety and security I have, the way I move through the world. Like those are things that are fundamentally like super important to me. And I genuinely believe in them because, and this is going to sound cliche. I do feel like I've had my own personal experiences with God, right? Like I do, but it's not like the, you know, Moses in the burning bush, uh, beating me is giving me the side eye. (laughs) I don't care. Um, it's not like this, like Moses in the burning bush where God is like, I am your God and I am your, you know, it's not that it's, I think that that thing that people call like inner voice or like intuition, I think that's, that's the spirit. I think that that's God. I think that that is, that's the spirit. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but to me that that's God speak. When I say like God is speaking to me, I mean like those quiet moments where I'm like my intuition right in air quotes is like mm, something about this is something is about this a little off you need to think about this a little but, bit more but or see, like sister zimmy sister zimmy uh sister overstanding <laughs> is is that god or uh-huh. is that you are it's you god. god are it's you god. god sister zimmy you are no. made in the likeness and in the imagery are you not a God person, sister Zimmy. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, your kids can be made in your can look like you, right? They can be made in your image, quote unquote. But they're not you. It's like different things, right? So I do think it's God, right? But I don't. I don't think anyone else has to think that's God, right? I'm not the least bit bothered or perturbed by you beating me or Asia thinking that that it don't. It really don't move me. It don't change. It don't change nothing about the way I'm gonna live my life. It doesn't change any of the you know the beliefs I'm gonna have. I'm completely unmoved and unbothered by other people's beliefs, right? But for me, it definitely is something that I wholeheartedly believe in. Like, I'm just, I'm convinced that that, what people are talking about when they say, like, I just felt it, like that intuition, like, I just knew, I heard, like, something told me, like, I am a thousand percent convinced that that is what it means to hear from God. I don't but actually think Zinni. people be getting these, like, these, oh, God told me. I don't even think people really hear it like Sister that. Sister Zimmy, how do you know that that's not the voice of your ancestors? How you know mm. that that's God? As mm. a evil woman with a strong lineage. Yeah, word, word. How it's do because you I don't know believe, those are not your ancestors? I just don't believe you can hear the the words of your ancestors. But how do you believe you can hear the word of God? Because I've experienced hearing the word of God. But how you know it was God? Because I know. Oh, but no. how? How do you Because know? I know, be See, like this, okay, see, this is the thing. It's like when niggas tell you what's understood don't need to be explained when they don't want to be in a relationship with God is let me let me just God said what is understood don't need to be explained. I'll have to explain that to you hoes. Now we're hoes. We are now hoes. I'm kidding, my sister's in Christ. But you said you was a Satanist, so I don't really know about that B to me. So let me so let me say this though. Mm -hmm. The thing that the reason why like I have the view that I have on religion today really is because um I I took yo AP World History changed my life (laughs) in in high school. AP World History changed my life. And one of the things that I learned in AP World History is I struggled to get through all the books and all the texts and learn all the shit was that across time, across nations, across ethnicities, we as human beings, like we've always tried to figure out ways to explain the things that we might not really understand. You know, Mm -hmm. like we've always tried to find ways to get some type of like grasp on the big the that question of well why are we here like what's Mm -hmm. the meaning of life like you know all that shit right and I feel like religion was one of those things that really tried to put some type of like order and structure albeit misguided and flawed as it may be and did like to a lot of extents like the bible the quran the Torah, you know, trying to explain, like, even, like, Buddhism. It's this, like, thing about trying to explain life. Why do human beings do the things that they do? Why are we here? Why is the world set up? Like, the questions that, you know, science and the other things that we have that can give us, like, okay, I can see it, I can feel it, I can prove it, I can repeat it, so I know it to be true. The the things that that can't answer for us, religion tries to intervene on that point. The problem becomes when people like manipulate it, right? And they take it and they use it uh, to try to gain power or like to dominate other people, 
right? The issues with religion throughout the world has been the fact that when, you know, nations and, and, and empires are conquered, people are forced to convert, right? There's violence that's permitted in a lot of parts of like different religions. There's, you know, ways that people misinterpret or reread. And it's been, tra it's translated so many times. Who knows what the mm -hmm. fuck it really started out to begin with, right? Like there's, there's just so many things, like religion, I feel like is a great, ironically is a great um, metaphor for like human nature. Right, like the malleability of it, the the flawed nature, the way that people use it to mean what they want it to mean, the way that people are constantly trying to use it to serve their best interests. And it's not to say that there aren't people out there who are like I know some really dope religious people who you know are super progressive who are not like you know devoid of reality who they believe in science. You know, like there's reasonable people out there who are also it's just their faith. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that because, you know, if you found something that really helps you to like explain the world around you and helps you to reorient yourself in the world around you, like hats off. And I feel like for me, that that's how I feel about science. That's what I feel about literature. That's what I feel about the things that I do that I am passionate about that I do rest on to kind of like help me explain the world. And a lot of the things that I use to help me explain the world is just the history of like human behavior mm -hmm. and shit that's already happened. And religious texts- But you know, religious people can do that too. Yeah, I was, I, was actually, I, was actually, too. I was actually saying, I was actually gonna say religious texts like does a good job of documenting that, right? Cause there's a lot of shit that will pop up in religious texts that we, people will now say, it's happening again. Oh my God, this is just like what happened in the Bible with the- so it's, that's why I said it's a great metaphor for like human nature, like the history of human beings, like just everything. But yeah. I mean, while we're, so we kind of talked about where we are, right? We, all three of us grew up religious, very, very, very religious, uh, very <laughs> religious homes, I should say. Um, and two well, Asia, I don't know how you identify. I know B to me identifies, in all, all seriousness, B to me, are you atheist or agnostic? I don't identify with any of those labels. I just, I'm, I'm just not religious. So you're just not religious. What about you, Asia? Are you not mm -hmm. religious? How do you identify? I like how you said that, B to me, um, because I did spend time on the atheist side of the tracks, on the agnostic side of the tracks, and I ran into some pretty unsavory people. <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of white supremacist ideas about religion and how they look at people who have a spiritual practice or faith in their lives. I don't like it. Uh, it feels mm. very racist, intensely racist, intensely anti-woman. Something about womanhood and particularly in the connection between the spiritual makes, you know, brings out their misogyny. I don't know. <laughs> I just, it's been very uncomfortable for me. But I, I became very well versed in the, you know, the, best arguments from evolutionary biologists on theory of evolution. And this is while I was like in middle school, I became intensely interested in this because I wanted to move away from being a Jehovah's Witness. And I have to say that this was a pathway for me, um, engaging with people who also didn't believe that and gave me so much more to think about. I was like, wow, my mind was blown at a major paradigm shift. Um, and that, I would say that that was my entry point into uh, intellectual thought. Um, 
And it, it was a really important experience for me because it let me down the path of so much more reading and study and why it's so important to ask big overarching questions that can pick apart structures and these larger connections way above and beyond yourself, your own life and everybody you know, way bigger forces at work having global impacts, one idea, a belief system of faith. I mean, it, mm. it could decide the course of history and we're still living with the ramifications of who believed what, what was your faith? at very key moments in history. So it's very profound. Um, I love to think about it. I think it's very interesting, but whew, when it comes to where do I land? Yeah, I don't really want to affiliate myself with the atheists because of, you know, just <laughs> the just lack of um, any willingness to be self-critical. Um, can't can't really do that. A lot of y'all are jackasses, is what it is. <laughs> and they, they are. I really. It's a lot sometimes. The like. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Isha. I'll, I'll no, drag go ahead. In a okay. I was gonna say. Um, I want to oh, talk the Hebrew Israelites after you. I mean, we gonna get to that. But I I want Asia to finish because I do want to. I have some commentary about like atheists and people who are agnostic. Of course like, you do. I sure do. You unbelievers. No. <laughs> you unbelievers. <laughs> but with uh, agnosticism, though, um, I just I don't feel like I don't know. I definitely know. Um, I know that, you know, I don't think that I think all of us have at least one God that we don't believe in. Right. <laughs> some of us believe in one God. Some of us believe in many or several. What if I told you it's all the same God? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, there's something wrong with me let me be quiet according to your religions i mean but i i would say definitely i don't believe that there is any personal god i don't think that there's a god that um engages with us in our day-to-day -day lives or you know in that way no i think there's not a god that we could pray to by any particular name i don't think this God is like a, a conscious personified entity. No, that would make me an atheist to all religions um, that are theistic, monotheistic, polytheistic. Um, so I think that's where I kind of land as far as what I believe in and what I don't believe. I mean, yeah, for me, I definitely, even as someone who, who does still identify as Christian, definitely still believes in God. I will say, I always feel a tremendous amount of like um, sympathy, empathy, maybe sympathy. I don't I forget which way you're supposed to use it for people who grow up um, religious and are steeped in so much fear that they never stop to question any, right? They're like almost terrified to question. I think one of the best things that happened to me was I, after graduating from college, cause it's weird. I, I went to, I came into, um, I grew up Catholic, went to college literally from the first week I stepped foot in college, never stepped foot in a Catholic church again, up in, unless like my dad is forcing us to go like he did for his birthday last year, whatever. Um, and, but then I started going to maybe like my sophomore year or something. I started going to this, um, this Baptist church out in Pittsburgh, shout out to uh, Mount Ararat Baptist church. And it was cool. Really enjoyed it. Really learned a lot, but there was also always this tremendous amount of guilt guilting that happened in church, right? Especially think about as like a college student, think of all the ratchet shit you do between Thursday night 
and Saturday night, and then like you wake up and, and you go to church on Sunday morning, and there's this this black man like, let me tell. And he, you know, Pastor the Pastor Curtis was cool. He was like kind of young, hip, whatever. But it's still like you're you're very much so being chided, right? For like, and you you know, I don't know. There there's we can get into all that, all the guilting and shaming and all that that happens in church. But then I left college and I completely like dropped off from, from going to church. Like I just, I just didn't go. Right. I just, I, I don't know. I just, you know, was out, out here in the world living, doing my own thing, sinning. Um, and then I remember like when I started to kind of re get introduced to like Christianity, I did so with a lot of questioning. Right. And one of the most critical elements for me was learning that prior to the story of Jesus, right? The, the story of Jesus that we know from the Bible, there was another version of that story <laughs> that had come like hundreds of years before that from like, I think like Greek mythology. Learning that completely changed my like orientation um, or the way in which I thought about religion, right? Completely changed the way in which I thought about religious texts. Um, and it really was the first time that I like started sh shifting away from like, okay, I don't really need this like organ. I, I don't need to do this thing, this version of whatever you're doing. Right. All of this is just how people have tried to make sense of what I think are their personal encounters with this spiritual being. Right. So yeah, I think that after that time period, it really allowed me to kind of like reorient myself in a different way and really just think about Christianity is a personal walk with God, as cliche as that sounds. Um, and I say all that to say one of the reasons why atheists um, really grind my fucking gears is the amount of condescension, I think, right? I think there are a lot of people who are atheists and they think by virtue of being atheists, they, they are the fucking smartest people in the room, right? And you religious dummies who know nothing about the world, know nothing about science, like there's this there's this weird thing that I think that happens with people. And it's very similar to how people get super religious, like super Christian and they go like full throttle and it's, it's too much. I feel like there's like also this side of that that happens with people who are like new to atheism or whatever. And it's like this full throttle assault on anybody who thinks differently than them. And I find it to be like, so I find it to be just as off putting as like when I listen to Christians who are doing or, you know, people who are super religious and doing the absolute fucking most. Um, yeah, a lot of people who are atheists, not all, I have a lot, you know, shout out to all my atheist homeboys and homegirls and all the, it, a lot of them really do speak to people in a way which I find to be just as gross as the way I, I hear some religious folks talk to people who are not religious. Um but yeah, that was my little, because uh, I know we're going to be dragging the religious folks today, but I just want some of y'all atheists to know y'all are just as fucking annoying as the, the, the Christians and the Muslims and all the other fundamentalists. Um, you all are just as, um, it's just as excruciating to be around you as it is to be around some of these other religious people. Um, and in many ways, you're like no better. Your ability to like make people feel like shit for not believing or believing in whatever the fuck you believe or don't believe in. It's just as terrible and gross and insufferable as the people who were like super duper religious. I just want y'all to know that. We've talked about a couple of things so far. We've talked about how we grew up, whether or not we're still religious now. We've even talked about a number of religions. Talked about Christianity, Pentecostal brand. Talked about going to a Baptist church. B2Me talked about growing up Muslim. 
Asia grew up um, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and so there are a number, B to me, I think in Asia would say that all religions are problematic. And, and me too, actually. I, I would throw myself in there. I think the only religion that I don't find problematic is Buddhism. Buddhism. I knew it. I knew it. But would we, is it fair to say that some types of religions or some offshoots are more problematic than others? Yeah, I think okay. that that's fair. Because I think Let's like, this problematic on a spectrum. Okay, so for example, let me take this opportunity to drag the Hebrew Israelites. Pow, pum, pum, pum. So pew. for example, those motherfuckers. They'll sit here and have a whole back and forth argument with you about whether or not women can wear pants. Shout out to the Kojic Church. We see y'all um, skirt wearers too. And I, for the life of me, I can never understand it, right? So you'll have the people who are Hebrew Israelites who will sit there and go back and forth about whether or not women can wear pants, right? And then you'll have other people who will go around telling people that the same seventy percent uh, of single mothers in the black community are being impregnated by the same twenty percent of men, and we'll tell people that uh, nineteen million black babies were aborted last year. Mm. So it's a spectrum, right? Every like I said, there are people who are Christians that I know they're super cool. There's people who are Muslims that we like. There's people we know who are Muslims that are mm-hmm. that are super dope, like and cool and level headed, like. It's not to say when when I come for religion and when my critique comes, I know it's not everybody who identifies as such. I'm specifically talking about the weirdos. I'm specifically talking about the people who do too much. And then, you know, as somebody who is religious, I really do appreciate when we can have an honest conversation and say, yes, the Bible is misogynistic. Yes, the Quran is misogynist. Like, there's let's talk about like there's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes when people try to make up all these like weird ass excuses and try to say that it's not really what it is, right? When the Hebrew Israelites are being transphobic and they're being anti-black and 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 anti-woman, let's let's speak on what it really is. There literally was a room on Clubhouse where they tried to convince this woman that she wasn't supposed to be leading her congregation because apparently women are not supposed to be leading men. And there's something similar in the Quran about women not lecturing men. So like women host, like us hosting rooms on Clubhouse and talking to a room full of people, if men are present, we're doing something wrong. Wait, can we tell the people who the... (laughs) So there are... Obviously, there are a lot of problematic religions. The ones we're going to talk about today are religions that Black people tend to be highly represented <laughs> represented um, in. So, no, you're not going to hear us drag Hinduism because, quite frankly, I don't know nothing about it. And I don't know that there are mass amount of, you know, Black people who subscribe to that religion. But what we are going to talk about are the Hebrew Israelites that Vitami just finished talking about. And if you're not familiar with them, if you've ever been to... Brooklyn or Philly or DC or even Oakland. Atlanta, Oakland, and you found yourself in a downtown region. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were men who were dressed in ridiculous costumes, 
Um, in purple robes, purple and black robes, lots of writing on their jackets, a splash of gold on their costume. And they, um, one of them always has a megaphone and it's screaming. And the other one has a Bible. Yeah. The other has a Bible and they're reading out of the Bible. Those are those, those people, I was about to say something terrible. Those people are the Hebrew um, Israelites and shout out to all the religious people that wear costumes. Shout out to the Pope. We see you in that hat, <laughs> in that robe. Shout out to you. Um, but yeah, those are the Hebrew Israelites, and they're. I think I think they're prim- it's primarily black people who are. They are black can Hebrew I just Israelites, say, and they're a problem. Can I just say a uh, shout out to the sisters of the Most High? Sisters. Y'all, <laughs> the sisters. <laughs> y'all, y'all really get me. Like, I just, I can't, y'all really, really do. I am gagged every single time I find myself in proximity with a woman who is a, a Hebrew, sister. is a sister. <laughs> like, it's so interesting how, like, there's a brainwashing that happens. You can't tell me that there isn't. I am personally, I'm convinced. You are convinced to literally advocate against everything that would benefit you. Like you're committed to do all this labor for the community, all this labor for the family. You're supposed to be modest. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. Right. And then you go around and you tell other women. Can I challenge you? Is that any different from any of the other religions? When it no, comes it's to not. The I'm just no. I'm just specifically talking about the sisters of the Most High because the sisters. Per- okay, the sisters. It was a particular experience that I had. <laughs> right. You go around and you dictate that other women should do the same, and then when I ask you, and I'm like, okay, so what about the much to your point, the women who are like of the Islamic faith who are super modest and they're still being assaulted? Mm. What about that? Because you're saying that the reason, because they'll tell you that the reason that these, you know, horrible things are happening to black women is because, you know, black women are leading a certain lifestyles. They're showing their chest mm. and they got their booties out and they twerking <laughs> and they're being less and less full and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, mm. so what do you say about the women who are not doing all that stuff who are still being abused? Well, does it have to make sense be to me? I guess not. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, yeah, it really, I mean, the Hebrew Israelites, the nation of Islam, yes, y'all too. Be doing some stuff. Oh my God! And the NOI, y'all look. Oh, <laughs> do not do not. I just I want to first of all let's start the 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 Southern Baptists, the um, Hebrew Israelites, the United Methodist Church. You people will not kill us in Nigeria. You the, will not kill us with mega churches everywhere. Sucking the, up money. The nation of Islam. Uh, the Kojic Church of God in Christ, the Kojic ones that wear the skirts. Um, shout out to you, pants save lives. And this is not to be like I'm not really trying to slander people for like their religious beliefs. Um, but I find it fascinating how much of religion is wrapped up in the oppression of women. So much of religious faith and, and doctrine and text, etc., is all about telling women what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and why they should be doing it. Right. That's like 50. That's like the crux of like so much religion. Right. It's all about like what is what's appropriate for women to do, 
what's considered modest, right? And it varies from religion to religion, right? What is considered modest, right? Like if you're part of church, the church of God in Christ, you know, you can have your hair out, but you're not allowed to wear pants, right? If you're a part of this church, you're not allowed to do this, right? Um, but there are very few rules, if you notice, whether or not we're talking about Islam, the nation of Islam, whatever. And actually, shout out to the nation of Islam for actually implementing rules for both genders, because that's actually unique, because for a lot of religions, it's just like the entire moral foundation of the religion rests on what women do, mm. right? Like, it's all about women's appearance, how women show up, how women parent, how women everything is about what women should and should not be doing in so many of these religions. And that's why I find so many of them to be like so problematic. That's not necessarily true either though, because there are like the other religions, they do have certain, they do have standards for how men should conduct themselves. The Mm -hmm. issue is that there's a hyper focus on women. And it's like more like in, in there's a hyper vigilance to have like, so they're ruled. The text has rules for everybody. But the vigilance and enforcement tends to happen to non-men, right? Or women. Mm -hmm. Non-men, yeah. Yeah. Asia, what say you? I think um, religion has functioned as a mechanism for the oppression of women, particularly. And so it's always remarkable when the criticisms of religion come up and they're offered. It's really the unwillingness to say out loud what they know is true. And because that's been my experience. I'm sitting across from women who are in one religious institution and another, naming the suffering, particularly that women have to endure, them having already said it themselves, a story and experience. And I'm just like, well, you know, that's really endemic to the practice of this religion. There's a direct tie there. Oh, no. Oh, no, there's not. Mm-mm. And so having the way women get treated be about the way women behave, you can always blame her. You can always say that she's what's wrong. Um, and so whenever we're doing that, we need to pause and take a second to think about where that might be coming from and what the impact of that might be. Okay. You, you typed it, Asia? I did. Okay. So, um, yeah, one day we're going to have a conversation about uh, submission, um, where we'll talk about religion, but today's not that day. We're not going to drag you all, you next today. That's what we're going to refer to them as the entire episode. You, you got damn next. Um, we're going to talk about the next. We're going to talk about the ribs, the necks and the heads. They don't know what we talk about. Why did Brian um, send me a message on Instagram? And he was like, Eve was a trans woman. And I was like, what? He was like, I mean, she was a rib of Adam. And I said, get out my, get out. <laughs> get out of my messages. Um, y'all, y'all non-religious folks be wearing me out. Um, another thing like I want to talk about, or another I thing we want to talk about today is mega churches, particularly the expansion of the mega, mega church and <laughs> and the financial exploitation. So we've already talked about, and we'll get into it some more about the gender oppression that happens with religion on the part two of Ain't I Religious. But before we get there, I want to specifically focus on like mega churches and financial exploitation. Shout out to Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, <laughs> Benny Hinn, Paula White, Joyce Mayer, T.D. Jakes, 
Pat Robertson, I think, um, all of the, 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 the really well-known financial exploiters. Um, I wanted to talk about that. Especially prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel. Especially me and you, B to me. The prosperity gospel in megachurches of Nigeria are wild. <sighs> the exploitation is wild. And that's People open churches and to make money. Like, there's literally, when I was, when we were driving... Um, it was about an hour drive. I counted just from what I could see, 50 churches. I didn't even just pay attention to the mosque. Just like being in the churches. South. Yeah, it was really ridiculous. And I think that, you know, one of the worst things is that anybody can put together a shack and call it a church. Um, and people will come. They'll give tithing. They'll do revivals. Everything like that. And I'm really happy that more Nigerians are, like, stepping away from like the tradition of churches and mosques and they're really starting to have a more nuanced critique about how big of a role they want religion to play in their lives, especially because of, you know, the shit that's been happening in terms of the violence, right? Like we talked about Deborah not too long ago, um, the thing that happened to her, another thing happened, right? There was another man who a similar situation happened to as well. Wait, did we talk about Deborah on the podcast? Do you want to give people a quick blurb? Yeah, so um, Deborah Samuel uh, is her name. Uh, she was a student um, in Sokoto and she was in a, stu a student group with Which other students. Which is in Nigeria. In Nigeria, yes. Um, she was in a student group with other students and it was supposed to be like for, you know, academic purposes. And I guess there were students that were sending things about um, Islam and, you know, she, that's the northern part of Nigeria. So it's like heavy with like Muslim people. Um, and so, you know, she made a comment. We're still not super clear on what she said, but something along the lines of, you know, this chat is supposed to be, you know, for the purposes of schoolwork. Like, why are you sending things about profit? Something along those lines. Um, and uh, students at the school took great offense to it. Um, and they decided to um, accost her, um, you know, trigger warning. They beat her. Um, they eventually murdered her. Like it was a mob of people. Um, they set up a roadblock. They accosted and apparently stabbed uh, people at the school, like the security personnel who tried to stop what was going on. Um, they were like, organized apparently and there was just so many of them allegedly that's what the reports say me personally i you know it's nigeria so you never know but allegedly there was just too many of them and there was nothing they could do and this young lady you know lost her life and um her body was burned and there's a video that the people like who did it released where like you see her like it's disgusting in the background and, you know, they're holding up the matchsticks and they're, they're chanting and they're excited about what they have just done. Um, and, you know, it's predominantly like a group of men. So, you know, they did that to her because she was being blasphemous. Um, in the northern part of Nigeria, there's laws against like blasphemy, like people literally have been tried and sentenced. Um, to several years in prison because they've been found to be blasphemous, like journalists, music artists. Like, so it's something that commonly does happen. And so 
hence to why mob violence like this is not really something that people take seriously. Um, but, but, you know, that's just one part, like, like what you said to me, like, this is one of those things, like, this is one of those extremes where people have taken this thing, um, and, and they're now using it to enact violence, you know, against other people. Um, so it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in this particular case, the religion that is being indicted in her killing is um, is Islam. Islam. But around the world, and particularly, you know, when me and B2Me are talking about Nigeria, the church, also not even just in Nigeria, um, Uganda, just all different parts of Africa, the church, the Christian church um, can be particularly indicted for not only the exploitation um, that has happened, but also even like when we think about Uganda, I think it's Uganda, right? All the anti-queer, um, anti-gay bills and laws that have been signed. Even in Nigeria, Nigeria just passed the anti, like they said, yeah. the quote-unquote cross-dress. And a lot of these, a lot of these laws are directly exported from the U.S., right? In the West, and the evangelicals that come out of places like the U.S. and they literally go over to these countries and, you know, help them pass legislation to criminalize people. And we'll talk about that more in Ain't I Religious Part Two. Um, but in in this particular episode, we specifically want to talk about the financial exploitation that happens uh, around the world particularly with these mega churches, um, especially around this idea of tithing, right? Um, <laughs> I don't, I know that you beat me in Asia, um, aren't really, you know, spending a lot of time in churches, <laughs> I would say probably oh, in recent, in recent years. Um, but for me, one of the things that I really had to think about and stop feeling super guilty about was like tithing. Um, and now, you know, lucky, luckily I go to a church now. Shout out to Alfred Street Baptist Church. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bedside Baptist, ain't step foot, but I do watch online. One of the things that I really appreciate about that church is if they collect money, you see the fruits of the labor, right? Oh. So during COVID, it was like, we are collecting money because we're buying students laptops. And they make sure to like film. They'll play that shit. In, oh, sorry, they'll play that video in church of like <laughs> this. The school. These are the three schools. Here are the videos of us at the schools. We we here's the video of us giving out the laptops to the parents. We gave out this many laptops. Each laptop caused this amount. It, you know, a couple weeks ago they did a gas drive where they just pulled up at, um, a gas station out here and just mm -hmm. pumped gas. Gave people free gas. Oh, for nice. like a couple hours, right? So it's always very much like, what does the community need? Whether it's like a food drive, you know, laptops for kids during COVID, whatever. Like they are very transparent about, this is where you all's money is going. Like when we say we are collecting money to meet the needs of the community, it's not so you could see the pastor in a Gucci suit or whatever. I don't know what the people are wearing these days. You know, it's, here's exactly what that money is being utilized for. Like, we don't play those fuckery. We don't play, play those games around, you know, uh, financial That's transactions. Fuck, like. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure, obviously, some of the money goes to the church, right? You do still got to pay rent on the building, et cetera, right. et cetera. But it is a different level of transparency and commitment to, like, doing the work in the community. And so I am 
willing. I don't cons- I don't tie. I don't consider it tithing, right? To me, I'm like, if I'm gonna, if they say, hey, we're gonna do this in the coming weeks, we're gonna, we plan to, you know, feed X number of people. We're we're collecting money for it, and they make sure that's the other thing. They separate it, so they collect tithes and offerings, and then they also collect. They'll be like, this is for this, right? Shout out to me because I ain't giving y'all no money. <laughs> I'm hard. Yeah, I ain't giving y'all no tithing money. But the <laughs> the the work that's being done, I don't have any problem, right? And that's the other thing, like the that bothers me about tithing is this idea that if you're not giving money to the church, that you're in no way being charitable or helpful. There are people who do like what thirty percent. You're supposed to give ten percent, thirty percent. Girl, all the Christians believe. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I, from, I see people doing things like mutual aid on the internet. Like, people are constantly giving, right? So this idea that if you're not giving your money here in this specific place for this specific purpose, you are somehow failing in life. Like, I really, I just don't agree with it. And we see how much financial exploitation, particularly in the developing world, happens where people are literally giving their last penny. Can't feed their children. And you're guilting them about like the reason why you don't have is because you haven't given it's because you haven't been faithful if only you would give then god would double it and shake it over you know you, you know the, the the scripture and i'm like that's not cool that's not okay to make people feel like shit because they're financially struggling and they're not they have to question whether or not their money can go here or if they actually really do need that that that, that really is people's last dollar Right. So all the rhetoric that happens around that makes me so fucking uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like the amount of guilting. If people want to give money, let them give. But like, I, I don't know. I just find all of it off putting, um, especially like, you know, some of these uh, mega church pastors that be on TV asking people for money. You know, there was one woman who I think it was Paula White, who was allegedly <laughs> really famous for like, God is telling me to open up Psalms 105. That means you need to sow a $105 seed. Oh, mm. My sister would always joke like, how come God never tells her to open up Psalms 1? <laughs> how come it's always some high? <laughs> how come it's never like Proverbs 2 and everybody can sow a $2 and seed? The, the thing about like, so like the prosperity gospel, because I think it really does tie into the issue of tithing because that's what mm-hmm. it's like tithing on steroids right so like mm. the thing about the prosperity gospel is they you know through the word of the bible have convinced christians that this is how you sow your seed right like and they do this thing where they show or they say make up in my opinion success stories about you know i sold a 200 dollars seed and i you know got a $10,000 loan somewhere, but they, you know, make some shit up, you know, whatever. But it's all tied to this thing about like, if you want to get into heaven and if you want to continue, you need to sow your seed and the money that you're giving is going to God. It's going to the church. You might not see what the church is doing. You might not be involved, but that's the whole purpose of you sowing your seed. You just give us the money. Don't worry about it we'll take care of everything else. Like it was the perfect scam, right? It continues to be the perfect scam. Like I don't, I don't, I actually don't see them doing it as outward as much ever since all those like documentaries and stuff came out that really like broke it down for people. Oh, no, be to me, it nothing changed. No, but I was going to say though, like 
I don't think they do it as do they still do it as much? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Be- when I say not a not a because beauty me, here's the thing, right? There are people in church who, if you even dare mention like the financial improprieties that are happening, will argue you on un- they don't even when when Asia always talks about like people who are doing the shielding work, if you want to find a shield. Go to a church. Go over there. Because yeah, people will argue surprised. you down about their own exploitation, right? That's like, surprised. you can be like, you know what? Why does your pastor drive a $2 million car? And they'll Why be like, does the CCC. want a jet? Because CC, you don't, what you don't understand is that that money is not really from the church. He made his jet money by selling books in audio and DVDs. Um, and he does speaking engagements. And see, when God blesses somebody, them people will fight you over their exploitation. That's one of the things about. Did y'all ever watch Greenleaf? Okay, let's not get the child. You mean the story of TD Jakes? Oh. <laughs> so one of the things about that that one of the big issues that came up in that show was financial improprieties, was like money laundering. Um, and what was happening with the money that, you know, the people were giving. And it was just this whole big thing about like the mega churches and how it really is interesting when you have a congregation of like 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, some people, 10,000 people, like some people are, people are going to church in arenas. Yeah. Like churches have coffee shops in them. Like it become it's almost like the whole nonprofit thing. There's this like commercialization of Christianity in particular in this country because you know Islamophobia is not is a you know global thing. <laughs> but like of Christianity in particular, there's this commodification because it's not just even in the United States. It happens, you know, it in Nigeria. It happens in South America. It happens anywhere where people are poor where people are suffering, where people are looking for some type of escape. And that's the worst part about it. Like, it's how exploitative it is. It's, it's the thing that bothers me the most, probably, about the church, is the, is the way I see poor people, poor Black people globally be exploited. Um, and, you know, they, I remember this is the last thing I'll say. There used to be this pastor in North Carolina, and I used to go to his church virtually. And I went once in person. And one time I was somebody had sent me this Instagram page, which is like the fashions of pastors or something like that. It was basically a page calling out how much money these men spend on their clothes. And so what this person would do is they would, you know, take a find a picture of a pastor and literally break down every item of clothing that they were wearing. And there was this one particular pastor that I, you know, I listened to and I, you know, it, it was a little gimmicky, but I, I liked it. It was fine. Um, should I say his name? Stephen Furtick. He's Elevation, um, work, Elevation Church in North Carolina, but whatever. And so he and other pastors do this new thing, right? Where when you see them, they look regular, right? They got on jeans, a t-shirt, some sneakers, you know, maybe a blazer or something. It doesn't give like old school Creflo dollar. I am wearing a Prada suit and, you know, uh, snakeskin church shoes, right? It's very um, understated, right? And what this Instagram account did was literally break down like the, those sneakers he had on were like $8,000 Prada sneakers, right? They look like these regular sneakers you can get out the mall, right? Like if you're not, if you're not someone who's into the fashions, you, you would never know, right? 
that t-shirt was really like $800, right? Like it was this brand, like, you know, put the side by side. And I realized I was like, oh, their appearance, you know, the new wave of pastors who look approachable, it's really intentional, right? They realize that there's been kind of a shift where people don't want to see these like outlandish, um, ostentatious, you know, displays of, of wealth, right? People don't want to see their exploitation blatantly in their face. And so now this new thing is the young, cool, approachable pastor, but your outfit is still $10,000 the same way that Creflo Dollars was, right? You're just presenting it in a different way. And so it doesn't really it's nothing changes. It's just like the face, you know, like the face of it kind of just shifts. Um, and so that was like, really, that was like another turning point for me where I was kind of like, wow, all of you people are the same. Not <laughs> you people. All y'all people are the same. Y'all are really super invested in cute versions of prosperity, gospel exploitation and taking people's money. So you can buy big houses that are, you know, you cannot pay taxes because you're part of a, a church and it's a nonprofit or whatever. Like all y'all are the same. Um, and yeah, the exploitation is gross, particularly of, of, of black people. And I think that part of this comes out of the black church, right? So I want us to end by just talking a little bit of like how everything we've discussed and what we're going to be discussing on part two of this episode where does the Black church and Black liberation fit into our understanding, contemporary understandings of, of religion, particularly amongst Black people? Well, I usually get eaten alive uh, by scholars of the Black church because they feel that there's just so much evidence of what the church as an institution has enabled Black people to do. Um, they've made documentaries about it. Um, they feel quite strongly that the Black church has been integral to the survival of Black people living under uh, anti-Black racism. I wonder if it hadn't been the church, but another institution, if Black people wouldn't have done the same thing. I think that we've managed to do amazing things despite the weight of the church bearing mm. down on us. And I've said before that I feel like the, ch the church is a surveillance apparatus. It's really behavior modification. It's, it's, it's it, it gives us our political platforms. It decides for us what versions of oppression we're okay with accepting uh, under the mandate of God. So, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to really unpack and get into as far as what's the relationship between the Black community and the Black church. Um, you know, some people don't really accept that there is such a institution as the Black church. They don't feel like there isn't this consistent entity throughout the diaspora. Um, and I think it's one of those things that, that we that connects us in, in very um, consistent ways. Uh, and so when people ask the question about, you know, what what is the relationship or the connection between all Black people all around the world? And I was like, well, <laughs> I think that religion is actually one of those things, um, magnificently enough. And it comes in a variety of forms, variety of impacts. But spirituality is a is a constant, and um, depending on which religious institutions were offered to you, 
or expressing or engaging with spirituality, that says a lot about what your politics are. And I think that when we get to a place where we can say, you know what, you're right, I do get my politics from my religion. There's a direct connection there. Well, we can have that conversation. I think that, you know, the folks who study the Black church and myself can get past my condemnation of the Black church. Um, and I also hope they hear me when I acknowledge that there's been tremendous things that Black people were able to do through the church. Um, so I don't want to ignore that. I just wonder if we wouldn't have done that in a, under a totally different a way of connecting to our spirituality. And so I don't hold the, the Black church responsible for that. I heard Black people responsible for that. And whatever religion, spiritual practice we choose, I think we'll always do that. Because I think some of us are hell-bent on getting free by any means necessary. And um, it doesn't matter what religious institution we're a part of, that is always going to be what we do in the end. Mm. What about you, b to me Any thoughts? I don't really have thoughts on the Black church. Well, I think like, you know, Asia definitely <laughs> said a lot um, that I agree with uh, about the, like the nuances in terms of the impact and the position that the Black church has held in the community. And I think that across like the board, I can, I can see similarities like in, in different like Black communities as well when it comes to part of the reason why religion is such like a fundamental basis in a lot of communities is because it is like and has often been a site for community bonding. Like when we talk about social justice and, you know, some of like, you know, social programs kind of like the church has like facilitated mosques like religious centers have facilitated because at the core basis they at least had to put on the performance of like being good and caring about you know those who are most in need um so I definitely like hear Asia on that part and I think that that's what makes the relationship for some people with religion so complex is because mm -hmm. it's a both and it's not just like oh my gosh like religion is trash you know because the text is trash and some of the people are super extreme it's also like yeah there's that and there's also this impact but the thing about it is that the impact can be had absent of like the violence <laughs> absence of like the persecution like absent of like all the nonsense so like we don't need like religious structures and entities um in place in order for us to have the things that we need in fact like in america it's part of our constitution it's not supposed to be like that um but here we are those are my thoughts on the Black church. And oh, and also the other thing I wanted to say, sorry to me really quickly, is that there's, you know, there's feminists who have like written about their experiences in the Black church. Like there's feminists who are theologians, who are ministers, who 
you know, write critiques about the misogyny in the church um, and write about the importance of like a feminist critique, especially in those communal structures. Because people, I strongly believe people are never going to stop being religious. People are never going to stop being Christians. People are never going to stop going to mosques. Like people are never going to stop believing the things that like make them happy and tickle them. So if that's the case, then I would rather have people like Zimmy um, and, you know, like uh, other people who have a feminist politic who can give you the critique and say like, yes, absolutely. These are the things that are wrong with the Bible, but you know, it's still my faith. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. So I appreciate that. Um, unlike those atheists who be trying oh, to drag everybody. Um, oh, I appreciate, I do appreciate that. And kind of keeping in line with that be to me about, you know, people who are out here who are still religious, um, but who are who are trying to do something good, trying to do something different, trying to you know not be like our uh, our forefathers and foremothers <laughs> who came before us. I want us to talk about people who are doing it. You know, doing it, and doing it, and I- doing it well, doing it and doing it and doing it well. <laughs> I wanted to talk about people who are doing it. Ain't I doing it? Um, there are a couple of folks I want to shout out. And I don't know if y'all have folks y'all want to shout out as well. Um, but the two people that I really love, um, and I, I hope that, you know, those of y'all who are listening to this podcast, go and check out. Um, the first one is Unfit Christian. Unfit Christian is a wild child. Um, <laughs> she has a massive following on Facebook. I think she has a, a Facebook group that there are tons and tons and tons of black women um, who have had similar struggles and uh, who have had similar questions uh, arise that they weren't getting a- answers to in the church have kind of all flocked to this online community. And so it's like this really dope online community of super progressive uh, uh you know, black women who are still religious or still Christian, um, but recognize like all the problematic aspects um, and are, you know, trying to shift people away from kind of what traditional thought on religion has been. Um, and so I want to shout Unfit Christian out. You can find her at Unfit Christian uh, on Instagram and you can find her Facebook group. It's also called Unfit Christian. I think she has a website as well. And the other person I want to shout out is Candace Bimbo, who I first got introduced to on another, on a YouTube blogger's um, page. And Candace is actually, um, is going to be really helpful for next week's episode, because next week we're going to talk about religion and we're part two, we're going to get into things like purity culture, abstinence, heteronormativity. And Candace Bimbo was one of the first people I ever heard publicly say loud and proud that Soul ties are a myth. <laughs> <laughs> and Candace Bimbo has forever had a very special place in my heart because sis just said the thing that a lot of us had been thinking, which is like, what you mean my soul is? <laughs> We're going to get into all that next week, but I really encourage you all to like, go- just Google Candace Bimbo. Her last name is B-E-N-B-O-W and she goes by Candace Bimbo on Instagram and I think other platforms. She has some dope, amazing interviews where she talks about the oppression of women in the church, particularly the 
the sexual repression <laughs> that is required of black women in the church. And she just breaks that shit all the way down. So I want to shout out our, our two good sis, uh, Unfit Christian and Candace Bimbo for doing the Lord's work. The Lord's. The Lord's <laughs> work. Um, the Lord's. And these here, you know, in uh, internet streets. We appreciate y'all, sis. And we love to see it. Thank you so much, Zimmy. I'm so grateful to, I didn't know about these at all. So I'm really grateful to you for introducing me to them. And I hope folks that are listening in um, get some benefit from that as well. Y'all, we are at the close of the podcast. I know. Yes. And, you know, rightfully so, because I'm out of wine. Oh, well, let's wrap it on up. Um. But again, as usual, I always learn so much from talking to y'all. Um, there were some things I had the opportunity to say that I always kind of struggle to put into words. And yeah, I really enjoyed learning about what life has been like for y'all uh, living with religion. Asia, I would have liked to learn more about what life was like for you growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. But Not no. a Jehovah's Witness. No, I I'm really... I. Do you, Asia, do you know what people say about y'all? Y'all are the reason why I don't answer the door if I'm not mm-hmm. expecting a guest. Like, y'all are, the reason, y'all are the oh. reason why if you don't call before it's coming to see me, I will not answer the door. Because mm. I got caught up one time. Asia, I was home alone. That's not, that's I not where I was the going. Door and 12 minutes. Oh. 12 Long minutes. <laughs> Asia, that is not where I was going. What I was actually saying is I would love, I'm just super fascinated by not only the religion that you grew up in, but your your transition away from that. Look at mm. me. Is, oh, beat me. me off this. Um, <laughs> We're going to do an episode two. Um, so if you have some questions for me for episode two, um, maybe let me know what they are. Give me some time to think about them. I can give you some really well thought out feedback. Um, oh, shout out to the girls with the loaded coochies. All right, we're out for real. Bye.